Capital Market Insights from ICMA. Hello, my name is Nicholas Pfaff. I'm the Deputy CEO and Head of Sustainable Finance at ICMA. I'm very pleased to um, present and moderate this uh, podcast, which is the fourth in our series on market integrity and greenwashing. Uh, for this fourth edition, we are going to focus on the asset management and the fund industry. And I've got uh, what I think is a great lineup for this, uh, for this discussion. I'm going to start by introducing Hortense Bioy, who is the Global Director of Sustainability Research at Morningstar. I'm also very pleased to have uh, Stéphane Janin, who is the head of global regulatory developments and public affairs at AXA Investment Managers. But very importantly, he is also the co-chair of the Asset Management and Investors Council at ICMA. We also have Mark Manning, who is the strategic policy advisor, uh, sustainable finance at the uh, UK's FCA. And finally, I have Patrick Carlson, who is the senior policy officer at ESMA, Europe's EU-wide regulator. So welcome to everyone. Stefan, with, with the help of uh, AMIC, uh, the Asset Manager and Investors Council at ICMA, we have responded recently to the call for evidence of the European supervisor agencies with respect to greenwashing. And we've proposed the following greenwashing risks in the fund industry. The first one is vague or ambiguous uh, responsible investment methodologies. The second is unclear or misleading fund labeling and naming. And the third was actual deception or fraud. Uh, Stefan, do you think this covers it? Have we got it right? As a former securities regulator myself, the starting point is that in my view, greenwashing is part of a, a specific cases where uh, lie below more general, uh, I would say, prohibitions on financial markets. It might be covered on one specific aspect of misleading information. It might be covered by a specific case of mis-selling. And as an example, I found it very interesting during the last few years to see that the US SEC, for instance, tackled what might be qualified as greenwashing through the general financial regulations uh, related to listed issuers. Greenwashing has got a very high political dimension as such, but in my view, it must be tackled also as a specific case of wider uh, regulatory financial uh, infringement. Uh, the response given by ICMA uh, is a good starting point to make the bridge between the wider uh, range of infringements and financial markets and the specificities of uh, greenwashing. Yes, thank you very much, Stefan. And you know, as you say, we made an effort to define in a more granular way uh, the, the nature of greenwashing in the fund management industry, but we also refer to how we can define in the sustainable bond industry. Uh, and we made the link with regulation and what's already been done, as well as what the market efforts been to mitigate greenwashing. But coming back to the you know, fundamentals of the problem and turning to, to Hortense this time, uh, is, is greenwashing indeed a very 
widespread phenomenon? Is it prevalent? I think uh, it's fair to say that uh, there is less and less intentional greenwashing because uh, asset managers are afraid of A, the regulator, although probably more in the US than in Europe, and B, asset managers also don't want to be uh, publicly shamed. I think the, the DWS story and, and other legal cases that have resulted in fines have had an impact on the industry in the last couple of years. I think asset managers now are more careful uh, with their claims. Uh, some have removed ESG or related terms from the fund names. I see also that asset managers in general have toned down the ESG messaging and marketing campaigns. And at the same time, they have also enhanced their internal ESG integration and reporting processes. Because of the increased scrutiny, the disclosure regulation, in particular in Europe with SFDR level two, and the fear of public shaming, I think things have improved. Now, there's still somewhere to go, especially when it comes to fund names, because that's where I see the biggest risk for, for investors. At Morningstar, we've always said that fund name is, is the biggest indicator of intentionality. And I'm worried that uh, many investors are misled by ESG-related words in fund names. So I'm glad that regulators are now looking at this issue more closely. Now, another point that I wanted to, uh, to make is that investor expectations are evolving. Uh, criteria to determine what is an ESG or sustainable investment are constantly evolving. And the challenge here is really to find a definition of green and, and greenwashing that resists the, the test of time. And after that, it's really up to the investor as well to do their due diligence. Uh, regulators, asset managers, uh, third-party data and research providers like, like us, Morningstar, uh, can help clarify, simplify things for investors. But at the end of the day, also investors need to take their responsibilities. Uh, they need to do their due diligence, uh, look under the bonnet, and uh, ask themselves if they feel comfortable with what they see in the portfolios. Hortense, thank you. When we were responding to the, to the ESAs, we proposed a definition on greenwashing, which included the notions of intentionality and evidence. Uh, I just want to come back to the point you, you've made, which is there's less intentional evidence. From your perspective, there really was an issue there. And how significant was it? I think it, it comes down to competition. When you look at how much money has flown into uh, ESG funds, you know, there's a lot at, at stake. So in March 2021, when SFDR came into, into force, you saw a lot of different interpretation of Article 8 and Article 9. And I spoke to so many managers at the time who talked about this competitive landscape, right? So they, they said, okay, the demand is there. Distributors don't want Article 6 anymore. You know, they want, they, they want more. They want at least Article 8 and, and clients want Article 9. So, so basically, I think that has pushed the industry to uh, asset managers to be more loose with their interpretation and more aggressive with their claims. But as I said, I think, especially in the last few months, as we saw downgrades, it's clear that asset managers have kind of backtracked a little bit 
and there's still a lack of clarity around definitions and the asset managers are still waiting for the regulator to clarify a number of points. May I jump in, uh, Nick? Please, Stefan. As a fund manager, <laughs> uh, definitely, and just to support what Hortense has said, uh, the lack of clarity at EU level about the underlying uh, key concept generated the risk and the occurrence of a risk of potential mis-selling, uh, to be frank. During the last few years, in particular last year, we saw, and I saw personally, uh, behaviors from various fund managers positioning themselves in very different ways surrounding the so-called Article 8 and Article 9 of SFDR, uh, which, in addition, uh, were known as not being labels. <laughs> so it was creating even more confusion on the market by some players trying to make uh, them labels. So what is really critical is to get more clarity in the, under, in the underlying concept. It's critical for investors to be able to compare what is comparable. And as long as the underlying concept is not so clear, there is a risk for investors to be uh, offered various types of funds which are supposed to be of the same kind, while in fact they, they might not be uh, so similar. We think at AXAIM that at least from an EU perspective, at least UCIT funds should benefit from an EU-wide label uh, uh, regarding uh, ESG approaches to make sure that across borders, at least at single market level, uh, similar funds could be compared by investors. Thank, thank you, Stefan. We're already moving in the, the direction of discussing regulation. Before we go there completely, I, I wanted to turn to Mark, ask a, a sort of foundational question on, on this question of, of greenwash in the fund industry is, is who do we need to protect? Is it is it just the retail segment or is there a requirement to also protect professional investors and give them clarity, for example, on fund naming, as, as Hortense has mentioned? In the context of the work that we've been doing on labeling, our focus has been very much around protecting retail consumers. We think that is where the greatest potential for harm resides. Now, this doesn't mean that institutional or professional investors are not exposed to greenwashing. We just consider that they are perhaps better equipped to spot misleading, exaggerated or unsubstantiated claims. In many cases, they will have better access to the providers of products in order to uh, be able to carry out more detailed and more rigorous due diligence. So in our own rules, while the proposals allow firms to label products that are offered to institutional investors as well, if they choose to do so, we didn't consider it proportionate to apply the naming and marketing restrictions in those circumstances. I fully agree that greenwashing can potentially arise at different levels, as much at the corporate level, for instance, as at the fund level, and it can be willful or unintentional. It might take the form of exaggerated or cherry-picked claims, but at the same time, as Hortense said, um, it might simply be incomplete or different interpretations of, uh, of information. I also agree with Stefan that the starting point for this should be to think about existing more general regulatory requirements. From an FCA standpoint, we've long had rules in place 
that require communications to be fair, clear and not misleading. And this really is the basic foundation, I think, for any regulatory response to greenwashing. One aspect of our proposals is a so-called anti-greenwashing rule that would underpin the application of fair, clear and not misleading in the case of any sustainability related claims. And what we're aiming for here is a, uh, an explicit rule against which we could challenge any firm that we considered might be um, uh, greenwashing its products or services uh, and, and take enforcement action against them as appropriate. And why do we think this is necessary to be explicit in the case of sustainability related claims? I think it really rests on the fact that this is a complex area in which language is often used loosely. Um, and with sustainability claims under growing scrutiny, as Hortense was saying, we want to put firms on notice that they need to take particular care about the claims they're making in this area. And there are other places in our handbook where we have sought to elaborate on what we mean by fair, clear and not misleading in specific contexts. There are examples, for instance, around financial promotions and in respect of consumer credit. So we just feel that there is a case just to elaborate a little bit further in order to set out our stall that we consider this to be an area in which there is potential or potentially greater risk of consumer harm. Mark, many thanks. I, I want to give the floor shortly to, to Patrick to give us a EU regulatory perspective. But, but before that, I, I want to turn back to Stéphane and Hortense. What I'm hearing, I think I'm hearing from both of you, is that you know, regulatory intervention in this space, you know, particularly around fund labeling or fund categorization, is, is something which is, you know, was needed. Is that, is that a fair comment? You know, I, I, don't, I don't hear much pushback in terms of the, the need for regulators to be involved in this space. From my perspective, definitely, we must ensure ultimately that investors are able to compare what is offered to them. And from that perspective, it's uh, meaningful to try to tackle that issue of unnaming uh, uh, on various uh, continents, <laughs> in various regions, including in Europe. Then the second point, which is more tricky, is to know how to tackle it especially by trying to combine qualitative parameters and or quantitative parameters. As it is complex and rather new as compared to the traditional finance, it requires sometimes more time than usual to find solutions. Our own AXA IM view, we think that quantitative parameters should be introduced, but uh, the diversity of views within the industry just shows that it is a very difficult to find a solution because it's, as I said, a, a rather new area for regulation. SFDR now uh, is very much a, an iterative process, right? Uh, it start, the start was a bit chaotic, uh, but what we're seeing now that it, is that it's becoming gradually more prescriptive um, as technical measures are being rolled out. The fact that uh, Article 6, 8, and 9 are de facto now used as labels, which uh, wasn't the intention of the of the regulator. The reality is that 
the, the number of funds classified as Article 9 is shrinking. You know, like if I can provide some data there, you know, it went down from over 5% of EU fund assets a few months ago to now just 3%. And we expect Article 9 downgrades to continue. As a result, Article 8 and 9 will be less and less used as, as labels, and investors will turn their focus uh, on other things uh, such as minimum percentage of sustainable investment, which is actually already uh, being used uh, more and more. They, they, but they, as, we, as we know, there are issues with the minimum percentage of sustainable investment because asset managers are using different methodologies to calculate it. So again, the, the, the asset managers have turned to the regulators saying, hey, can you provide more clarity on how we should do this? As, as Stefan just mentioned, there is this uh, new uh, proposal now to introduce minimum standards for funds and have requirements when it comes to, to fund names. Uh, that also presents some important implementation challenges. But I think whatever is decided, uh, we needed regulation. Uh, clearly, uh, to help investors uh, navigate the space, to have more uh, reporting, more disclosure at, at fund level. Uh, but what's what's really important is uh, to avoid fragmentation of the market, because so far what we've seen uh, is fra fragmentation of the market with local regulators interpreting the regulation differently and provide different guidance to asset managers, which completely defect the, uh, the object of this uh, EU regulation. Hortense, thank you. Patrick, it's, it's really time to, to turn to you. You know, from, from our conversation, and this is, is not news, the industry has used Article 6, 8, and 9 as de facto labels. I think it's clear that they weren't intended as such. And now uh, ESMA is, has recently consulted on potential guidance uh, for fund naming, or at least you know, the use of vocabulary in relation to funds with, with minimal thresholds. Is, is this a premise for ESMA to, uh, to move towards actual formal fund categorization, formal fund labeling? Yeah, thank you. No, I've been following the, the, the discussion with great interest. So there are many things happening at once, <laughs> which is complex in itself, uh, but it's important to, to separate out the strands. I think the EU is trying its best to understand greenwashing. This is a longer term project. The commission asked us, uh, the European supervisory authorities, not just ESMA, for advice, actually in technical input, they call it, over a two year period, actually, which is uh, unusually generous for the commission to do. But it illustrates that we want to do this properly. We want to understand greenwashing. We want to help provide the framework within which to define it. And indeed, we, we launched a call for evidence uh, late last year. Uh, and, and we, we, of course, read the, the ICMA and other industry responses to it with great interest to help us understand better where greenwashing may or may not occur. Meanwhile, we have more immediate pressing issues happening at the same time, very much related to SFDR. Octans is, is right. When SFDR level one started applying on 10th of March 2021, it became a bit of a free-for-all because of the delay of the application of the detailed level two provisions, which we were at the time preparing with the other ESAs and which was finalized and started applying only now on the 1st of January. That intervening period and this free-for-all, as I, as I called it, did indeed lead to both the demand and supply of financial products, especially investment funds, um, with 
the disclosure of the, the Article 8 or Article 9 or neither, which people call Article 6, uh, as de facto kind of sustainability badges of approval or something like this. You can creditably argue, and we have been accused, and not ESMA directly, but the co-legislators who created SFDR, in that in creating essentially two categories of financial products, that kind of categorization would inevitably lead to a degree of labeling. Many will recall that there was an attempt to create an eco-label for investment funds, but recognizing that current reported levels of taxonomy-aligned activities is very low, it's actually quite difficult to create a high-quality eco-label that would work. Now, ESMA has been very public, and I'm happy to be public about it too, that we are unhappy about this situation where the Article 8, Article 9, and or even the lack of, of, of either, as in Article 6, is being used as proxy labels, especially Article 8, because that category was designed to capture almost anything. And the European Commission's Q&As from July 2021, so a few months after the application of Level 1, then reinforced this, this perhaps broader nature of Article 8. And we have since tried to stress that Article 8 disclosure in and of itself is not necessarily connected to very high sustainability ambition. It, it can be, but it's not necessarily so. It cannot be taken in and of itself as a signal that the financial product or the investment fund within those financial products is sustainable. And so that's the kind of root problem that we've been grappling with in the here and now. It's essentially a retail investor concern. We don't differentiate between retail and, and, and institutional investors, especially with the investment fund world where we are looking at usage in particular. It's a popular product with both. And we issued a supervisory briefing as ESMA for investment funds last year to try to bring some supervisory coherence around the use of the, the, the SFDR disclosures and how they're supervised and enforced. And we came to the conclusion that this was not sufficient uh, last summer and therefore launched a consultation on certain terms used in the names of investment funds. At the same time, we are trying to solve something in a live environment of evolving SFDR disclosures. And that's how we ended up with uh, three things at the same time. We have a call for evidence on understanding greenwashing. We have a consultation paper on investment funds only, looking at terms used in the names and potentially tying those to uh, quantitative thresholds linked to the SFDR disclosures, but not necessarily dependent on them. And we are also reviewing SFDR and understanding those concepts better in a live environment. One last thing on that one, we are preparing a consultation paper on the SFDR delegated regulation, responding to a mandate we received from the European Commission last April. We're taking a bit of time here to try to understand a little bit better how the disclosures we originally designed work. And we are proposing, or will be proposing some targeted amendments to those, which we would very much appreciate as we have throughout this entire process of understanding greenwashing. Appreciate your feedback too. I, I want to turn to Mark because I think there, there is commonality in terms of the, you know, the approach that the SCA is taking, but there's also differentiation. And having responded to, to both recent consultations, my sense, Mark, is that potentially the FCA is further down the road in terms of thinking about actual 
fund labels, but please confirm. Thank you very much, Nicholas. And really great to hear Patrick's comments there. Uh, and I think what we are trying to do is a bit different to what SFDR was seeking to achieve. I think Patrick's been very clear that art Article 8 and 9 were not intended to be used as labels and that a fund that is classified as Article 8, its classification should not necessarily be taken as an indicator of sustainability credentials to, of that fund. What we were trying to do in our proposals, which were published in October last year, and the consultation uh, just closed at the end of January, was to try to use a combination of labeling, accompanying disclosures, and naming and marketing restrictions to build trust in the market for sustainable investment, protect consumers, ensure that when they see a labeled fund, they know that it is genuinely taking an investment approach that can be credibly and plausibly linked to positive outcomes for the environment or society. So we really were looking to provide that mark of quality, if you like, distinguish genuinely sustainable investment products from those that may have may, may give some consideration to sustainability, but are not necessarily purposefully seeking to, to drive positive real world outcomes. The background for all of this is really our own financial lives survey at the FCA concluded that more than 80% of adults surveyed want their money to do some good while providing a financial return. We also carried out some extensive consumer experiments and they revealed that consumers consider any um, reference to sustainability to be about pursuing positive real world outcomes, not merely considering sustainability while pursuing only a financial return outcome. So we thought it was essential really, given that this is a complex market, market as many speakers have, have, have said already, terms like ESG, sustainable, green are being used interchangeably and consumers find it difficult to navigate and to know who to trust. So against that backdrop, our aim was to apply a labelling regime that gives consumers a top-line navigation tool, distinguishes products with a sustainability focus and with a, with, with a real-world focus from those that are merely considering sustainability or not considering sustainability at all. And then within that set of products that do have a purposeful sustainability orientation, we then have consumer-facing disclosures that provide in a pithy, accessible way uh, an, an overview of the key sustainability features of the product, what it's seeking to achieve, how it is going about it, and what is uh, being achieved over time. And then more detailed layer of disclosures beneath that, and then accompanying naming and marketing rules. And we felt that that package was uh, with, with consumers very much at the heart, was an opportunity to really help consumers work through this complex space and build trust. Thank you, Mark. And, and thanks for the preview on where your thinking has moved and is evolving with the benefit of, of the feedback from the consultations. Uh, Patrick, turning back to you, I mean, is there more than you can, that you could share of ESMA's thinking you know, in relation to feedback that you have been 
receiving, you know, arguably recently, you know, both on what is greenwashing, but also on your proposals with respect to the uh, fund vocabulary and, and also thresholds in, in relation to, to different types of sustainable funds. The responses to the greenwashing call for evidence were very impressive. I think it gave us a really helpful insight into the perception of many stakeholders about where they think greenwashing may be occurring in certain processes. Some of those processes are relatively well known. We've discussed a lot, for example, the, the use of disclosures as labels, etc. Uh, but I mean, obviously, the ESG ratings has also uh, been, been raised. The next step here is that we're putting together an interim report, which we are due to deliver to the Commission in May. Uh, and then we will take more time to consider the recommendations we will make in a final report, which is due in May 2024. When it comes to the fund naming, we see the, a, a very great number of responses, which is good to see. Uh, many of them very negative. Uh, that's that's okay. We, we knew that this was not a, a controversy-free consultation paper, of course, we are we are actually proposing some restrictions uh, from an investor protection perspective on certain vocabulary used in, in, in fund names. So obviously, this would not be something that would be welcomed wholeheartedly, perhaps. Uh, I think it's good to see that the questions we asked generated such thinking. I was very pleased to hear Stefan's comments about uh, the kind of thinking that happened in the background, obviously, we, we are not privy to those. We see the final consultation responses only. Very interesting to hear and, and, and definitely not surprising. We had similar discussions and thinking ourselves in, in ESMA beforehand. Are these the right measures? So we, we have identified the problem, but we are thinking about how to deal with it in a credible way. One thing I'd like to, to stress, and this is something that is raised with us frequently in the responses, are actually two things, if I may. One is that because definitions are, are not clear enough, for example, on sustainable investments, because of this uh, lack of common definitions, then there is a fear that thresholds tied to SFDR concepts like that could, could be problematic indeed. I think, of course, we are aware of that, but then obviously this raises investor protection concerns in and of itself in ESMA, because then it makes us concerned that products are currently right now marketed to investors on the basis of something that fund managers do not understand. And that obviously then only increases our desire to provide something here as a solution. The second thing is this about whether this ESMA guidelines issued under Article 16 of the ESMA regulation, whether that's the right tool uh, to address this or whether it would not in fact be better to review SFDR by the commission. I think we very much agree with that desire that we would also like to see some, some changes and improvements to SFDR to address these kinds of risks. But obviously there's a, a time issue here. Before we see any actual changes, we could have five or six years pass. And so obviously our concern as ESMA is what do we do in those intervening years? So I would suggest that the do nothing option is not very credible from that perspective. We would like to do something to mitigate this risk here in the interim period, and we are considering the best way to do that. Thank you very much, Patrick. Mark, you, you want to jump in? Yeah, I just wanted to clarify one thing. My remarks previously were very much around the proposals that we had put out for consultation rather than getting into the feedback we've received. Just to give you a bit of a heads up on that, um, the consultation closed end of, end of January. 
we had engaged quite actively with stakeholders throughout the consultation process. Uh, and then we also received uh, around 240 written responses, a really strong level of engagement and many of these very, very rich response letters with lots of specifics and, and concrete suggestions. I'd just like to uh, thank ICMA as well for your very rich and, and insightful response. We're now working through the detail of those written responses. I think it's fair to say that there has been quite a bit of support for the broad shape of the proposals. People generally like a labelling approach based on intentionality and support the tiered approach to disclosures and broadly support the categories of sustainable investment that we've included within the labelling regime. But I think at the same time, there's been quite a lot of recurring feedback across the uh, responses. For example, the precise interaction between the labels and the naming and marketing restrictions, comments around precisely where we have set the bar within our qualifying criteria for the sustainable investment labels, some specifics around the qualifying criteria themselves, around the detail and the boundaries between each of them. And we've received some strong encouragement to think again about the criteria for our sustainable impact label with encouragement to align more closely with accepted frameworks such as uh, the GIN framework. Mark, many thanks. I'm going to come to my last question, but as a premise, specifically on this you know, debate around fund labeling on fund categorization, you know, wh where we've ended up, I think, through our responses to to ESMA and to the FCA is, is at the conclusion or the preliminary conclusion that there, there really are three categories that are emerging. And the first one is funds that focus on what is referred to as ESG integration, but it's actually very much ESG risk integration. There's a second category, which is about funds that contain companies or financial instruments that are sustainable as measured by their, their effects on the environment and society. And then there is a third category, which is funds that contribute to a, a measurable improvement, such as financing transition to, to net zero. So I, I wanted to, to ask all the panelists, do you think we're on the right track here or, or are, we, are we missing something? Just to clarify, when you say these are three categories you've identified, is it so that, I mean, they would correspond to labels or is just a way of classifying funds? Well, that's, that's a really good question, Hortense. I think we see them as broad categories under which various labels could, could fall, but also could potentially have labels which cross over these different categories. The way we've observed the um, industry evolve, we, uh, we've come to the conclusion that when it comes to ESG risk integration, that has become table stake. So creating a separate category for that, I think is unnecessary. We think this is part of the manager's fiduciary duty to uh, identify and manage risk and ESG risk is, are just, you know, another set of risks that they need to consider. And, and of course, they can do that in very different ways and at various levels. There is very light integ ESG integration. There is also like integration that is done extensively, but still it's, it remains focused on risk and it, this is just risk management. That's what I would say about the first category you mentioned. About these three categories, I think that I'm partially biased or conflicted because we are part of uh, ICMA membership. Huh? So, <laughs> so by definition, uh, we approve uh, what has been uh, issued. But uh, also combining it with the remark by Hortense, 
I think that the two critical points are on sustainable and transition uh, so-called categories. And especially, I think it also converges towards what the IMF stressed through a note in the context of a potential review of SFDR level one. Uh, so definitely categorizing uh, what can be considered as sustainable might be a, a, a good uh, improvement or achievement as long as we get at last some definition on what sustainable investments uh, mean. So and it is converging to the request of the French IMF also on that point towards the Open Commission. And regarding transition, it is even more obvious. It was probably part of the missing pieces of the already uh, rather comprehensive framework uh, at EU level, at least. Uh, that notion of transition must be more digged into. It was also stressed by other regulators. What is critical is to develop further that notion and that potentially that category uh, related to transition because uh, ultimately in Bayon Finance, if we want to make real achievements, we have to tackle that notion of transition. Still beyond that, we'll be too short today to discuss about the S, uh, but uh, definitely uh, we should more and more now start working on the S of ESG because it's even less clearly tackled to get as compared the, to, to the E. Uh, last point uh, of a different uh, nature, uh, definitely uh, one of the missing pieces at EU level was on data providers. We have seen that IOSCO issued a very interesting series of recommendations on ESG data and ESG rating providers, both of them uh, at the end of 2021. So including uh, the uh, action by uh, the FCA, the AMF and others. And definitely, this is a critical piece in the ESG framework. We need solid reliability of ESG data as well as ESG ratings, the two of them, huh? I insist on that. So we took note of the fact that the FCA initiated some uh, action for a code of conduct in the UK and in parallel, the Open Commission, uh, some legislative action on, on that and definitely will be uh, actively supporting these two initiatives, both in the UK and at the EU level. Mark. Thank you very much. Uh, so I agree with a, a lot of what has been said already here. I think there's good crossover in a couple of your categories with our proposed categorization and labeling. Uh, we have our sustainable focus category, which is broadly consistent with your notion of containing companies or instruments that are sustainable already today. Our sustainable improver category is very much that forward-looking transition-oriented category. Fully agree with how Stefan has just articulated it. We need to shift the entire economy here and therefore that means investors playing a role in shifting from brown to green in the climate context. But more generally, if we think about environment and society, moving from less sustainable to more sustainable right across the economy. Also agree with Stefan that that demands a certain degree of rigor around the parameters that would need to apply for funds classified in that category. And we've sought to do that through the qualifying criteria that sit beneath 
our proposals, but certainly we've had quite a bit of feedback on some of the detail of those which we'll be looking at. We then, of course, have a, a third category, which is the dedicated impact category, which uh, we thought was important given that this is an established segment of the market where funds are making more definitive promises around the positive measurable outcomes that they're seeking to achieve for the environment or society. Final point, we do not have an ESG integration category within our proposals for precisely the reason that Hortense set out. We consider ESG integration as clearly incredibly important, but it's very much the expectation that would apply for any manager uh, acting in accordance with its fiduciary duty. So to that extent, we do not believe that it should specifically be called out as sustainable investment and to bring an ESG integrated product into the labelling regime would indeed be confusing to an investor because we're dealing here with considering sustainability related factors as opposed to actively pursuing a real world positive outcome. And that distinction we feel is really important and certainly aligns with what we heard from consumers as well. Thank you, Mark. Patrick, would you like to have the last word? It's, it's easy because uh, I don't actually have a lot to add because we are only the, the very starting um, position of considering labels here. And really, it's something that we consider the European Commission should do. We can learn from the FCA's experience uh, with their consultation paper and, and forthcoming uh, standards here. I think we, we will watch with great interest and see how, how this develops. In terms of, of the ESPA categories, uh, I don't need to add much more. The, the transition uh, discussion has been raised with us a number of times about how the SFDR disclosures don't readily fit that. I might dispute that, but then we would get down into a, a, a very, very lengthy debate about Article 8 and Article 9, and we should do that, or, or indeed the taxonomy. But as a starting point, indeed, I think the, the recognizing the different level of ambitions and presenting them in a way that retail investors understand is obviously the, the task here. And, and I think the FCA has done a fantastic job with its consultation paper, and we look forward to seeing uh, the next steps there. I think what Mark has been alluding to is it's not so easy to agree those criteria. The criteria are difficult. Uh, there's no getting around that. And, and we all need to think about that and make sure that we don't end up in a situation where greenwashing is enabled rather than, than combated by these excellent proposals. Patrick, thank you very much for that. Hortense, Stéphane, Marc, thank you for a, a very rich discussion. It's been fascinating. We could go on even longer. And I'd also like to thank all our listeners. And I hope that this is contributed to, to their thinking about sustainable finance and what is happening specifically with respect to the fund industry. Thank you for listening. For more ICMA podcasts and further information on capital markets, please visit our website, icmagroup.org.